Welcome to the Temporary Fandoms Podcast, episode 22. This is the show where we take you on a guided tour of an artist's complete discography and then throw it open for a discussion about what we've learned and what great tunes we've discovered. As you join us, we're exactly halfway through the eight-disc career of Arthur Lee's Love. So if you haven't listened to episode 21 yet, we recommend you go back and jump in there. Love are a curious band because most people only know one of their records, 1967's Forever Changes. So you might wonder why we dedicate so much time to talking about the other seven. Well, basically it's because those other records are full of killer tunes and you could easily miss them while preoccupied with their supposed masterpiece. But also because Arthur Lee's story is a fascinating, if at times heartbreaking one. But that's what you get if you call your band Love, right? If you're not listening on Spotify, you may not know that this show is also available, cut together with sample tunes from every album under discussion. You can find links in the show notes. Our show can be found on the Beat Rehab website and at tempfans.com. And you can get involved in other discography immersions on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. But let's get back to the job in hand and reacquaint ourselves with the excellent crew we assembled for this discussion, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's act is none other than the seminal Californian psychedelic rock and soul act, Love. Hello there, welcome to episode 22 of Temporary Fandoms, um, and, or episode 2 of Love. I really wanted to say, like, love, but then I realized <laughs> that um, that would just sound wrong. Maybe I'll, I'll edit this bit out, or not. Anyway, um, if you have not heard episode 21, what are you doing? Go back and listen to that one before you listen to this one. I mean, it's their best period as a band anyway, spoilers this there's some dragons coming um but we can't be temporary fans if we don't listen to the entire discography um rejoining us um brothers from last time obviously we've still got nick nick hello emily emily baldoni hello hello there and you're going to be talking us through which albums today so I'm going to be talking to the penultimate, not penultimate, the ultimate for <laughs> the last four of, of Love's discography. So um, that's Out Here, False Start, Black Beauty, and then Real to Real. Perfect. Uh, Gavin, Gavin Hogg, hello. Hello, hello. And we still got Paul Hanley. Hello, Paul. Good evening. Um, if you listened to the last episode and you didn't notice that a couple of people dropped out and came back in again through internet problems, then I'm actually, I've, I've worked out how to do this editing malarkey. If you did notice, I've still got some stuff to do. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble, so we are going to head you over to Emily after this. Here was recorded during the same sessions as For Sale, and was released only a few months after that album, a factor that probably didn't help Out Here's commercial prospects. This was also, by the way, around the time when Lee turned down an invitation to play at Woodstock. Lee's words, as reported by guitarist Jay Donnellan, No, I don't want to go to New York for one fucking gig. Clearly, Lee was making lots of sound business decisions around this time. Which is kind of ironic, because throughout the various lineups of Love, Lee was always very concerned with the business side of things. He was always the one who controlled the money, and he was always concerned that people were trying to rip him off. But a lot of the time, he really just ended up shooting himself, and by extension the band, in the foot. So, as I said, both For Sale and Out Here were recorded as part of the same set of sessions. 
Which of these albums you prefer probably depends on your feelings about the jammier and noodlier components of the new lineup sound, which are more fully on display on the tracks on Out Here. It's cut from the same cloth as For Sale, but the selection and sequence of tracks leans more heavily into the heavier blues rock sound than the previous album did. Full disclosure, this is probably my least favorite love album. Not that it's all bad, there are still some good songs on here, but to me it's diluted by the sheer length of the album and the inclusion of some overly long jam tracks. See, for example, Doggone, which features a pretty interminable drum solo by George Saranovich. To me, this is really a classic case of one of those double albums that would have been better off as a single album. It's an album in need of an editor. In that way, it kind of suffers from a similar problem as DiCapo. There are some great individual tracks in here, but the overall impact of the album as a whole is diluted by a few overlong or throwaway tracks that can feel like filler. Nonetheless, there is some great stuff on here, if you're willing to wade through a bit of jam to look for it. I quite like the three-song run from Listen to My Song, which sounds like it could have wandered off of an earlier Love album, on through the bluesier I'm Down and Stand Out, and later on on the album, Willow Willow is a lovely little track, with a kind of Arthur Lee chord changes that I'm just an absolute sucker for. And like For Sale before, the album ends strong with Gather Round, one of those tracks that might sound generically late 60s in someone else's hands, but somehow from Arthur Lee, I find the bitter lyrics soulful and poignant. Meanwhile, around this time, there were also various efforts to try to get the original Love lineup back together, but they just didn't pan out. For example, a high-profile gig was scheduled at the Santa Monica Civic Center, featuring most of the Forever Changes lineup with the exception of Brian McLean, who was pointedly not invited. But Johnny Eccles and Kenny Forsey were really in the depths of their heroin addiction at the time, and they were just not up to the task. By all reports, the reunion show was a bit of a debacle, and Arthur was incredibly disappointed. Soon after, Arthur, ever travel shy, finally did agree to a UK tour, and remember, Love had had significantly more commercial success there than in the US. But the long-awaited tour would be with the new For Sale and Out Here lineup, rather than the old Forever Changes one. By the time Love finally embarked on their first European tour in early 1970, Gary Rowles had replaced Jay Donnellan on lead guitar. But the rest of the lineup remained stable for the time being, with Fayed on bass and Saranovich on drums sticking around from the previous two albums. While in England for the tour, the band recorded two tracks that would end up on False Start. A live version of Stand Out, the studio version of which had originally appeared on Out Here, and the opener, The Everlasting First, which features a short but pretty dazzling guest guitar performance by Jimi Hendrix. As you might recall, Lee and Hendrix had known each other since the mid-60s, when Hendrix had played on a Lee Penn single for Rosa Lee Brooks. The collaboration on The Everlasting First came out of an impromptu jam session while the band was in London. The story is that Hendrix showed up at the London apartment that was being shared by Lee and the rest of the band, and the other members of the band were just starstruck. They didn't know that Arthur knew Hendrix. After Hendrix, Arthur, and the band had hung out for a while and most likely imbibed some, ahem, substances, 
On a whim, Arthur called Olympic Studios to see if they had any availability that night. The session that resulted apparently lasted for almost eight hours, but given that the Everlasting First is the only track from the session that made it on to false start, one does kind of have to wonder what happened to the other seven plus hours of material. The rest of False Start, which would be the second and final Love album to be released by Blue Thumb, was recorded in June and July of 1970 at the Record Plant in Los Angeles. The Record Plant's co-founder and engineer, Gary Kelgren, had previously worked with Hendrix, and you can definitely hear that influence throughout False Start, which represents the band's fullest foray into a hard rock sound. Your mileage on this one may vary depending on just how much you enjoy that heavier, bluesier aesthetic. Overall, this is probably a more consistent record than out here, which kind of didn't know what it wanted to be between jam bandery, hippie goofiness, and occasional tracks that harken back to an earlier, folkier love sound. In contrast, on False Start, the turn towards a heavier sound is complete. To me, the Everlasting First, which is that opener, the track that had been recorded in that London session with Jimi Hendrix, is probably the highlight of the album. The track takes a while to really get going, but in the last minute or so, Hendrix rips into a guitar solo that is just truly blistering, and you can kind of get a feel for what the energy in that truly epic jam session must have been like. That's the only track that Hendrix actually played on, but his shadow looms long over the rest of the album, not just stylistically, but sometimes in the content of the lyrics themselves. The second track, Flying, was inspired by Arthur's frustration at finding out that a woman he'd been seeing, apparently like a lot of other women in his life at the time, actually, had also been involved with Hendrix. So when he sings, you find someone that you think you can love, and you find out that she's in love with your big brother, the big brother in question is Jimmy. For me, parts of this album are a bit too much in the shadow of Jimi Hendrix. It's a solid album, and I enjoy it when I'm in the right mood for it, but it does feel pretty indebted to his style. What keeps the album appealing for me, though, is Arthur's voice. He's still in great form here, and even on some of the less inspired tracks, it's his delivery that keeps me interested. Take the late album track, Feel Daddy Feel Good, for example. It's pretty standard 70s blues rock, but at the end of each verse, when Arthur goes into his upper register and just starts howling, it just elevates the track into something more than the sum of its parts.